Support comes from WFAE members and Mazda of South Charlotte, focused on applying Mazda's customer-centric approach for vehicle design to car buying and servicing in order to create an experience centered around the customer. More at MazdaofSouthCharlotte.com. This is Charlotte Talks. I'm Mike Collins. Unless you travel to one of North Carolina's Native American casinos or to neighboring Tennessee or Virginia, you can't legally engage in sports betting here, but that may be about to change. After falling just short of passage last year by one vote, both Republicans and Democrats in Raleigh appear ready to say yes to a bill expanding sports gambling with licenses handed out through the North Carolina Education Lottery Fund. We were curious how this tilt toward allowing sports gambling here occurred and about the impact in states where that activity is already legal, and we're going to explore that this hour and more as well. Brian Murphy is with us. He is a sports investigative reporter for WRAL-TV in Raleigh. Good morning. Welcome. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Ben Strauss covers sports and the media for The Washington Post. Good morning to you. Happy to be here. Thanks. And John Stife is a reporter for the Center Square, which covers news from state houses across the country. John Stife covers Tennessee and West Virginia. Tennessee, of course, where sports gambling has been legal since 2019. John, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Brian, let me begin with you. How long has this topic, this idea that we need to have sports gambling legalized in North Carolina, how long has it been a topic of conversation and attention in Raleigh? Well, the Supreme Court uh, in 2018 ruled that states could could get into this business. And since 2019, stakeholders have gotten together in North Carolina and kind of crafted this legislation. It didn't really pop until 2021. Um, obviously, last year, 2022, is when uh, the Senate passed it in 2021. Last year, in 2022, the House um, had a long, long debate about it. And, and as you mentioned, it failed by a single vote in the House. And so it is expected to come back again in 2023. Uh, supporters are very confident that they have the votes to get it done this time. But this has been a, a three-year process, maybe a four-year process at this point. And you say it's expected to come back. We actually expected there to be a bill uh, that we could actually physically talk about, but evidently it has yet to be filed, but it will be. Is that the general idea here? Yes, I've been told for weeks that it will be filed uh, this week, and uh, and it hasn't happened yet. But uh, yes, we expect. I've seen draft legislation. It's very similar to to the bill that was uh, presented last year with some modifications that were made throughout the process. Um, but we are expecting that bill any day to be filed. So it failed to pass by one vote last year. What makes lawmakers confident that they can pass it this year? How different is this year's edition of this legislation as opposed to last year's? Uh, it's not very different. The legislation is, is primarily the same. What's different is the composition of the legislature. Uh, about a quarter of the House, the 120-member uh, North Carolina House, has changed over. Some of those people have moved to the Senate. Others have retired. And the belief, the belief is that the incoming class um, is, is much more amenable, is younger, is much more amenable to, to allowing sports gambling than some of the members who have left. And I think the second thing that's changed is there's been more public discussion about it. Uh, there were some members who I think may support it this year who voted against it last year, in large part because the process was so harried. It was a frenzied process. Uh, things were being taken out of the bill and added to the bill on the House floor, which is a bit unusual. And I think at some point, some people said, hey, I just need to step back. This is a big change for the state. Let, let, let's let this marinate for a little while and let me hear some more information about it. One of the driving forces here, I don't know how big a driving force it is, but, but the fact that Virginia 
and Tennessee both have these lotteries, and in particularly in the border counties, they are siphoning off potential income for the state because those people are going to Tennessee and Virginia uh, gambling there, and if they have winnings, it's taxed by those states and not ours. <clears throat> Do we know how much revenue we might be losing to those two states by not having a lottery of our own or sports betting of our own? Well, the best comparison I can make is that is, is Virginia over the last two years has had it. The first year they brought in $28 million in tax revenue. Uh, the second year after they made some modifications to how the author, uh, to how the operators were taxed, they brought in $48 million in tax revenue. Um, you know, North Carolina is a state that has a $25 billion budget, one, one that's growing every year. Um, we have $6 billion in reserves. So when you talk about, you know, potentially 50 to $75 million a year in, in in tax revenue from the gambling operators, we're not talking about kind of life-changing money uh, as far as the state is is concerned. So are you saying then that that is not as big a deal as we think, as, as it might have been, I don't know, if we didn't have a surplus? We don't really uh, yeah, need the money? Think- well, I mean, that's an argument that critics make is we, we don't need this money. We don't need we're, we're not hurting for money at the moment. Um, uh, others would say, hey, it's our job. Other, you know, J- Jason Sane, who's one of the leading proponents of this, a representative is a, is a leading budget writer. And he says, look, it's my job to prevent leakage of any revenue from getting outside of the state. Uh, there may soon well become a time where where we do need this revenue. And so it's our job to look at opportunities to to bring in revenue. And uh, Georgia is now considering sports gambling as well. And so uh, may North Carolina may be surrounded by states where it's legal and you can simply drive over the border, pull out your phone, uh, get to a rest area, pull out your phone and and cast your bets uh, in Virginia or Tennessee or, or or perhaps Georgia down the road. I remember when they were talking about the education lottery in North Carolina, which ultimately passed, and we've had it in place for years, that there was a lot of talk about the moral aspects of wagering of any kind. We overcame it with the education lottery, but now we're, now we're talking about real betting here. Uh, how are we overcoming the moral objections to that? Is it simply a generational change, such as the one you mentioned in the legislature, younger people coming in who don't have the same feelings? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think we have overcome that uh, in some ways. Uh, much of the objections to sports gambling last year were on moral grounds that the state should not be involved in gambling in any way. And and people would say, well, we have the lottery. We already have gambling. I think if you talk to those people, they would say, well, let's get rid of the lottery. The, the Their solution is not to add more gambling. It's to get rid of the gambling that we already have in the state. Um, but I do Times are changing. Uh, I think that more and more states have obviously have adopted this and that people are, are more willing. You've seen poll after poll that indicates if not a majority of people in the state are, are acceptable or are accepting of sports gambling, at least a plurality of people in the state are, are willing to, to bring in something like this. Although this proposed legislation in Raleigh uh, failed by one vote last year, there were a number of people who voted against it for a number of uh, reasons, but one in particular, John Autry from Mecklenburg County here in Charlotte, uh, voted against it because he did not believe that the state should be sanctioning gambling, especially gambling over college sports. And I believe that that provision was removed from that bill before the vote, but it still failed. Where does that part of this bill stand in the new bill that's coming to, that may come to uh, the legislature in in a week or two, maybe by this afternoon, who knows? 
Yeah, uh, the proponents of the bill have have added sports uh, get, gambling on college sports back into the bill. Um, that was the first sign that things were in trouble last year when when opponents of the bill were able to remove sports gambling on college athletics from the bill completely. Uh, in a state like Virginia, for example, they ha they allow betting on on college sports, but they do not allow betting on Virginia teams. So you cannot bet on the University of Virginia or or Virginia Tech. Um, there were no such uh, regulations in in the North Carolina legislation and and proponents have have put that back in the bill uh, the proposed bill that we should see here shortly brian murphy reports on sports and is a sports investigator reporter for wral tv in raleigh ben strauss is with us from the washington post and john stife is here from the center square where he reports on sports uh of uh, in tennessee and west virginia and in tennessee john they they legalized as you know uh, sports betting in, in 2019 virginia followed suit i think in 2020 now we're talking about it here all three of these are southern states what were the arguments in tennessee against sports gambling well they're the same arguments you hear everywhere and there was a lot of objection morally to this and it, and it remains there was a budget hearing yesterday for the department that runs it and they were again asked what are you doing with individual betters well that that group has the ability to go into any operator's back-end system to kind of see how things are operating but they don't block people if they lose a bunch of money they just have they have a red line number that you can call if you have gambling addiction issues you can you can self-report and take yourself out either for a short period of time or for a long period of time or from all of the 12 operators collectively. But they were able to, while it was in the legislature, the, the governor didn't even support uh, the legislation. And by taking out brick and mortar casinos, he allowed it to pass without his uh, signature. Um, but ultimately, it was about the tax rate. They bumped it up to 20% on the income of the individual operators. And they have kind of guaranteed money because they require each operator to make 10% each year. And that's what they get taxed on. And they actually get punished if they don't make 10% on the overall wagers each year. And, and how would you do that? Would you encourage more gambling or would you take a bigger cut? Uh, you have to take a bigger cut in things like parlays give you or individual parlays give you a bigger cut. So um, in, in the state this year, like like Brian was talking about with Virginia, they went through all the accounting and, and changed kind of how those are tabulated. And they went up to sixty eight million dollars in tax money in 2022. And why did lawmakers in Tennessee decide that? they wanted to even put their toe in the water here and then pass the bill. Why did they want to do it? I mean, it's the same argument as everywhere. You don't want that leakage of, of tax money. You want to have that revenue. A lot of it, 80% of that tax revenue supports Tennessee's hope scholarship. It's a college scholarship program for students who have a 3.5 or better GPA and they meet certain marks on the ACT and SAT. Those actually, those tests, Results were removed during the COVID-19 pandemic, but they're coming back. And they've actually made more money in, in taxes, so they're expanding the eligibility to 
technical colleges and to students who graduate early from college, they can get that money towards graduate school. So that's kind of the argument. And, and so 80% goes to that HOPE scholarship and 5% goes towards those mental health services for people with gambling addiction. And is that money in fact going to those scholarships? Has anybody traced that money? Because there's some question about whether the money for that comes from education lotteries actually goes to help education or whether it's simply you put money in a pot and then take money out of that pot and put it someplace else. If you robbing Peter to pay Paul. I mean, everything's kind of like that at a budget, but yeah, I mean, the money does go, it, it's, it's required to go to that program. So, Brian, have legislators in North Carolina taken a look at what's been going on in Tennessee and in Virginia or other states, for that matter, and learned about best practices and written those into the into the law? Or are they just doing this like out of whole cloth? (laughs) No, I think I I think they have uh, the tax rate originally in the original bill was eight percent. That was extremely low. Uh, It's been raised to 14 percent in the new bill, which is still a little bit below. Virginia's at 15. Tennessee's at 20. A state like New York is at 51 percent. Obviously, that market is so large that operators still want to get into it, even even with the the tax rate there. Uh, They have. We've we've hinted at it, but there's this thing called promo deductibility. Um, in order to attract new new clients, the operators will offer these unbelievably easy bets or give you lots of credit. Um, if you make a five dollar wager, they'll give you one hundred fifty dollars in credit. Um, in some states, including Virginia and Tennessee, uh, the operators were able to write off that promo deductibility um, on their taxes and thus really really shrink their tax bill. Um, what states have learned is that. After a year or two, you're not really trying to attract any new customers, and so you're really just giving this this tax money away. And so states, including North Carolina, have written in um, op, uh, phase outs that there's a phase out of the promo um, and bonus deductibility, which should over time raise the amount of uh, tax revenue that comes to the state. Ben Strauss is here from the Washington Post. I only have 30 seconds left, Ben, but we're going to come back and talk more with you about the 30,000-foot view of this. But you're in Washington. Washington's part of the metropolitan area there is Northern Virginia. They have a lottery. Does Maryland have one? Does D.C. have uh, uh, sports betting? Yes, Yes. uh, uh, we do. (laughs) You ask anybody that, that, that wants to bet on sports in D.C., and they will tell you that we have it but the app is awful and they go to Virginia, they go to Maryland to do their betting. We'll come back, talk more about that and more in a moment at Charlotte Talks on WFAE. Support comes from WFAE members and Mazda of South Charlotte. Using Mazda's customer-centric approach to cars to create a car buying and servicing experience where the customer is the center of their business. More at MazdaofSouthCharlotte.com. It's Charlotte Talks on Listener Funded, 90.7 WFAE and WFAE.org. I'm Mike Collins. We're talking about the prospect of sports gambling being legal in North Carolina with Brian Murphy, a sports investigative reporter for WRAL-TV. John Stife is a reporter for the Center Square in Tennessee and West Virginia. And Ben Strauss is with us. He's a sports and media reporter for The Washington Post. You said something I know nothing about this, Ben, nothing about this at all. So you said something that intrigued me a second ago. You said you live in Washington. Washington has legalized sports betting, but people don't like the app in D.C. Virginia has a has sports gambling. It's a better app. So they play in Virginia, you say. Why can't why do we need it in North Carolina? If the app is available, why can't I just download my app 
and play the Virginia lottery or the D.C. lottery or the Tennessee, not lottery, sports gambling system right now, anywhere, anytime? Well, each state is in control of, of their you know sports betting operation. So yes, but, you know, but why can't I play? The, I'll just download the Virginia app on my phone and play it. It's geofenced. You couldn't do it. You okay. couldn't place that bet unless you were physically in Virginia. So when I'm talking about people in D.C., in order to make those bets in Virginia, they have to drive to Virginia to do that. Five um, seconds over the 14th Street Bridge. Just, just there. There you go. Um, <laughs> and it's not right. Like the app is better. The odds are better, too. Right. I, you know, like the payouts are, are much better. And so people have real complaints, like the people that like to gamble, um, you know, friends of mine, colleagues of mine that that you know, pay very close attention to us um, are, are, are pretty disgusted with the, what DC has to offer um, and that will often drive to Virginia to, to make their bets. So the floodgates opened on all this, I think it was 2018, when the Supreme yeah. Court struck down a law, a federal law, that barred gambling on football, basketball, baseball, and other sports in most states, I think except betting on single games in Nevada. The Supreme Court said, uh-uh, that doesn't work, that's unconstitutional. So what... Why had it been confined that way, and what has been the result of that decision, Ben? So 2018 um, happens, uh, PASPA is the, is the name of the law, and the Supreme Court overturns it. Um, New Jersey was the state that, that really brought the, the challenge, um, you know, and it's sort of why does Nevada get to do this, and we don't. Um, and essentially, uh, you know, just in talking about what this is worth, $4.3 billion in revenue on sports gambling in 2021, $7.5 billion in 2022. So this is large amounts of money, even if, you know, when you break it down state by state, as, as it was mentioned, may not be life-changing money in, uh, in terms of state budgets. But you have a lot of entities who sort of saw this law get changed with dollar signs in their eyes, especially leagues and teams, um, state legislatures, um, and and you had different stakeholders who you know have long-standing um, you know relationships with gambling. Native American tribes, FanDuel and DraftKings um, have not been able to get uh, sports gambling passed in California, which is you know a, a huge potential market. Um, you know, that ran into trouble in North Carolina. So you have this patchwork of, of legislation, patchwork of strategies, but, but really you have some really powerful entities that all want access to, um, you know, what they see as uh, revenue streams from, from this legalized market. How much of this is being driven, uh, driven by lobbyists from that industry uh, uh, talking constantly to legislators around the country? Oh, uh, for sure. I, you oh. know, as soon as it's legalized, you have lobbyists from you know these big gambling companies going to state houses and you know here's the law that we passed here's what we would like to see passed and you know the, the, the there is a, a little bit of irony here and that is you know we, we sort of talk about this money and we talk about you know how much these gambling operators want these laws passed um these gambling companies so far have lost a lot of money um you know the only you know you're talking about the amount of advertising spent to, to capture market to capture customers there's there's two companies, FanDuel and DraftKings, that have dominated the market. Um, have have 
you know, significant market share in most of these states. And even they are losing, you know, significant amounts of money. FanDuel is the only company that has turned a quarterly profit yet. Um, they are hoping that in the future, as, as, you know, things settle a little bit more, market share turns into profits. But you, you have these two companies, essentially, that have dominated the market and about 60 other companies that are, you know, flailing, essentially, to try to get some sort of foothold um, in terms of customers, uh, moving forward, but but everybody from Caesars to to Barstool and Penn, um, you know, have have pretty limited market share, uh, and all of these companies, at least to this point, you know, are are not reaping you know huge huge profits, even as they you know will tell you they are setting the stage you know down the road um, you know to turn these these customers into more money. So they're essentially operating as bookies. Is that, is that essentially what, how they're operating here, these companies? Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, so they're losing money. There's a question about whether fans l- win more money than they lose. And then the New York Times reported, uh, Ben, last fall, the states that allowed sports gambling quickly and as a re- have result, the result of that has been they were largely unprepared and perhaps had not really thought it through. And the result is giving these gambling companies relatively free reign uh, with few protections for consumers. How big a problem has that proven to be? I think that the, the number of gamblers has certainly increased. The number of calls to, to gambling hotlines has increased. Um, some of the protections that you see in other places, uh, states have not put up, you know, in, in the United Kingdom, gambling has been legal for uh, a long time. And, and recently they instituted some, some, um, guardrails in terms of advertising, you can't advertise during games, which anybody who watches sports, uh, in the United States would say that would be a big change from what we've seen just the amount of you know FanDuel and DraftKings more than anybody else every time you turn on a football game on Sunday uh the amount of uh the number of commercials you see are, are pretty significant Ontario Canada just recently um was the first place in Canada Canada sorry to legalize gambling um and they put in um you know some terms that that limit the free bets that we've talked about um and so places that that, that have move to to limit some of the advertising you didn't see a lot of that in the united states i tend to think that that when the in the next couple of years you will see limits on advertising um and i think you're already seeing limits on on free bets and i think that we'll move in that direction also but but in the you know earliest days not a lot of that so john what's the situation in tennessee were they prepared are there consumer protections in place there have they found things that have resulted as a result of their legalizing this that they maybe would have written the the law differently had they known before they've definitely had issues the tennessee education lottery was who was kind of managing it for the first year and a half they went through two executive directors um, they had one operator that got in trouble because there was money laundering and credit card theft involved. They didn't tell the state immediately. They told them a week later. They got in some trouble for it. The executive director left soon after, and now they've switched it over to the Sports Wagering Advisory Council as of January 1st, 2022. Started um, looking through it. They are the ones that they looked through the accounting of it, and the numbers didn't add up before uh, 2022. There were there were a lot of issues. I think it's run a lot better now. Um, 
they, they're not telling us the individual operators um, what they make every year. It's just an overall number now, but they, they definitely learned from that part of it. According to the New York Times, your state, in your state, sports betting companies allowed gamblers to put money in their accounts via credit cards, even though Tennessee, seeking to discourage gambling debts, had outlawed that practice. Is that still the case? And how did they get around the law in the first place? No, it was, I mean, I believe it was the one operator. It was Action 24-7, um, and they got in trouble for that. And that's definitely not the case, and, it, and it's looked at a lot more closely now. Uh, Brian, in that report the New York Times printed, I think it was last fall or, or last summer, uh, they found that most states have dedicated minimal funds to combat uh, gambling addictions that might arise from sports betting, and they often turned to the gambling industry itself, what a surprise, to shape regulations and police their own compliance in these various states. Have legislators here taken a different approach? Are there protections in the law that would stop that from happening here? Yes and no, right? Uh, there, there are some protections in the bill that say you have to verify that this person is over 18 years old or over 21 years old. You have to, uh, you can't advertise targeted at youth, but as Ben just talked about, if you're advertising during a football game, obviously a lot of young people are going to be watching that. Uh, the bill, at least the draft legislation I've seen, uh, allocates $2 million for the North Carolina problem gambling uh association or whatever it's called here in the state um they currently only have a one million dollar budget so this would be you know doubling that to, to two million and they probably still get the other million dollars so they are um taking some steps to try to help problem gambling uh if you listen to any podcast you'll hear a long list of disclaimers and, and helplines uh that vary by state that people can call if they're having a problem gambling but um certainly i don't think that critics of the bill would say that's enough how do you verify a person's age that they're 18 and therefore able to play these games on an app? Well, the, the companies that, that handle the geofencing, the reason that I, can, I sitting in Raleigh cannot place a bet on my on a Virginia app um, or on my phone um, are, are the same people who do security like that and try to verify a person's age. Uh, obviously, you need a debit card or a credit card, which... Um, uh, North Carolina will allow credit cards, although opponents have tried to get that taken out of the bill. Um, you know, and largely you often need to be of age to to, to acquire a debit card or a credit card. So uh, there uh, are unless your unless your parents give it to you. Sure, sure. There are companies that that handle this kind of security mm -hmm. uh, that that handle um, not only geofencing but uh, identity verification. Um, and so you know the. the North Carolina certainly won't be the first state to, to approve this. There are ways um, to get around these things, but there certainly are companies that are designed to, 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 help these, to help the gambling operators follow the law. In a segment that you did on this topic on WRL-TV, you spoke with State Representative Pricey Harrison from Guilford County, who said that many of the states have adopted legalized, that have adopted legalized sports gambling have experienced buyer's remorse because much of it is run by the gambling industry, as we've said, which she described as predatory. Is she alone in those concerns? And what did she mean by predatory? Yeah, I think she means that they prey on um, 
you know, they prey on mostly the people doing this are, are young men. I mean, I don't think there's um, there, there there have been some studies, you know, certainly 18 to 45 year old men are are the ones who are, who are mostly involved in, in sports gambling. Um, there is a concern about what what happens to the youth. Right. Um, if we've seen the advertising blitz that has happened in North Carolina and, and we don't even have legalized sports gambling here. Um, I was in Virginia when they legalized sports gambling and, and you couldn't go a second without seeing uh, an ad for sports gambling on your mobile device or, or on your television or, or wherever you happen to be. Um, and so there's a sense that through these free bets, uh, you know, through, through these cash payouts, they, they try to hook, um, hook gamblers. And then once you're on the app, you know, we, We've also seen that um, cell phones are addictive, right? I mean, even if it's not involving gambling, people get really hooked on their cell phone. And now you've added uh, you know, gambling, which is another addictive activity, to your cell phone, which is already an addictive activity. And there's a lot of concern about what that will what what that will lead to um, for for young men and and older men and and anybody that might get involved in sports gambling. Ben, anybody who's gambled in Vegas knows that the house wins. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in business. So the house would be these operators, and and, and uh, we know that. Uh, some of them are losing on the other side of this equation, not necessarily from the betters, but other aspects of this. Are the states that have legalized this, this, are they winning? They probably got into this because they thought, well, other states are getting this revenue. We should get our piece of the pie. Are they getting their piece of the pie? I think it depends on the state. And I think it depends on some of the ways that they've written legislation. Mississippi at the beginning of this legalized sports gambling, but limited or didn't allow uh, gambling on um, mobile devices. You had to go to the brick and mortar casino and there's no money in that, right? Like all the money is on the mobile app. So so I think New Jersey would tell you that they are pleased with like the revenue that's coming in, other states less so. I think it depends, um, it really depends on on the state and, and how they've written legislation and um, how it's worked in, in individual states. How many but states? I don't, think, I don't think every state would tell you that that they have buyer's remorse. I think how many it, it, states it allow this? How many states allow this? Thirty-six plus DC. Thirty-six, and so there's three of those D thirty-six, um, or two of those thirty-six have had legislation um, that have not that hasn't gone into effect yet, but but have legalized it. So we have 36 states plus Washington allowing this. The Pew Research Center reported last fall that 19% of U.S. adults bet money on sports in the past year. And your paper, The Washington Post, along with the University of Maryland, conducted a poll to gauge support by ordinary Americans for sports betting. What did you find? I don't know. you got to read the results. <laughs> well, I'll tell you. Uh <laughs> <laughs> they, they approved it. Uh, in July of last year, 66% approved. That's up from 55% in 2017. Uh, so there's a growing approval in the country. Do we understand what's behind that? I just think for years and years, there was a taboo about gambling. You thought about sports gambling. You thought of, you know, old lonely men with, um, <laughs> you know, sitting in the OTB you know, their family had left them um, and, you know, they're, they're like watching a TV screen, you know, this size and, and they have no, lost all the relationships in their lives and, you know, their shells of themselves. And I think, um, you know, as, as gambling has been legalized, some of that taboo has, has fallen away. Um, you know, we, we do talk about some of the problems and, and, you know, addiction. Um, but sort of the flip side of that is, is I think people have, 
become more comfortable with it. Um, you know, and if you are able to, um, if you, if you were not one of these people who becomes addicted or, or, you know, sort of goes down this rabbit hole, um, you know, there, there is a fun side to it, um, can be a fun side to it. And, um, the more, uh, the more accepted it is, especially by the leagues and the teams, right? Like just seeing it, uh, on TV. Um, I think that, that, there is, is, is a far more, you know, widely accepted way that people view this I want to come back to this aspect of the leagues and the teams. I have a minute left in this segment, Brian. I, I don't know how it was in Raleigh, but here in Charlotte, we've had uh, these parlors, these betting parlors pop up from time to time where they have all kinds of different games and machines. And uh, every once in a while, the police will come in and raid the place and drag all the machines out and impound them. Uh, how is this different? The machine becomes your phone. How? Why are we against that, but we're for sports betting on the phone? How is it different? I have 30 well, seconds. Yeah, well, one way is that the pro sports teams in North Carolina and other states are very much behind this. The Charlotte Hornets, the Charlotte Panthers, or the Carolina Panthers, the Carolina Hurricanes are very much helping to drive this legislation, in part because they'd be allowed to put sports books or sports lounges at their facilities. Okay, we have to take a break. We're going to come back and talk about the relationship between sports gambling and professional sports. And I know, Ben, you want to follow up on what uh, Brian just said, so I'll give you that opportunity as well when we come back. It's Charlotte Talks on listener-funded 90.7 WFAE. Support comes from WFAE members and Mazda of South Charlotte, incorporating Mazda's customer-centric vehicle design by making the customer the center of business to create a better car buying experience. More at mazdaofsouthcharlotte.com. It's Charlotte Talks on WFAE and WFAE.org. I'm Mike Collins. Today we're talking about the prospect of sports gambling in, in North Carolina as the legislature is uh, any moment now going to put a, bell, a bill into, into process to see if it happens. Brian Murphy's here. He reports for WRAL-TV on sports. Ben Strauss is a sports and media reporter for the Washington Post. And John Steiff reports on sports and other things, I suppose, for Tennessee and West Virginia for the center square. Tennessee is one of the states that has recently legalized sports gambling. Ben, you wanted to follow up on something Brian was talking about just before the break. Yeah, I think the uh, relationship between teams um, and leagues uh, to gambling is interesting. I think you, you've seen um, leagues, sports leagues, are, are nervous about younger fans. They're sort of nervous about um, the hold that, that, that sports and sports viewing has had on um, really like the American TV audience, the American sports fans for, for a long time. And in this era of video games and fragmented media, you know, uh, fewer people are watching TV. Um, the, the, the numbers and the studies coming out about younger sports fans, um, Gen Z in particular, they're not as into sports um, and they certainly watch far, far less sports. And so I think you're, you're seeing nervous teams, nervous leagues um, look at gambling as a way to sort of connect to younger viewers and, and, and keep people um, watching on TV because media rights and TV contracts have been such a huge part, really the, the driving factor of, of how much these teams are worth, um, how much money these owners have made, how much these salaries have ballooned in the last you know, 15, 20 years. And people are nervous about sort of this media ecosystem that is changing with streaming and the cable bundle fraying. And gambling is really looked to as a revenue stream that can fill some of those gaps amid the uncertainty. So you have teams and leagues that were really against gambling for a long time, really rushing um, with open arms to embrace this and, and get it accepted and, and have it become mainstream, you know, uh, with, with they're concerned and, and this is a really big deal for them. 
And evidently that's happening here. Brian, you wrote in January or you reported in January that uh, North Carolina teams and venues want their own gambling licenses. Teams want eight of the 12 operator licenses that may be available. Uh, That was last year. Is that still the case this time around? Which teams want these things? Which venues want these things? Yeah, they, they still want them, although the proposed legislation would not uh, allocate them licenses. They would they would be uh, free market uh, open for the operators to get. But uh, the Carolina Panthers, the Carolina Hurricanes, um, I'm sorry, the, yeah, the, the Charlotte Hornets, uh, Charlotte Motor Speedway, um, some of uh, the PGA Tour events at least would have a temporary license or, or they would have a license throughout the year um, if they hosted, you know, the Wells Fargo Championship down there in Charlotte. And do they want these because they want to find a different way to connect with fans and potential participants, or do they want them because of the revenue stream that it might create for them? To be clear, you know, the, the, the Charlotte, the, the Charlotte Hornets would not be able to operate a, a sports book, a mobile sports book, you know, but this would give them the key piece of, of real estate, which is the license. And so um, operators would have to come and partner with them. As it stands, if the operators get the license, then they then they get to kind of sort of dictate the terms when they make sponsorship agreements or other agreements with the sports teams. If the sports teams were to hold those licenses or the venues in this case, then they would be able in, in a position of power when it comes to, to teaming up with operators. So the Panthers and the Hornets and one would presume that the Charlotte Football Club would also want in on this at some point. Uh, John, yep. what's the situation in Tennessee? Do the Tennessee Titans benefit from this in any way? The Right now, they're just mobile sports betting in Tennessee. But one of the interesting things, Tennessee Titans are looking at a new stadium right now. They had a big renovation plan that wasn't supposed to go fully public, but did. In those drawings, there was an alternative uh, model that had a sports gambling room in there. So they have a lot of connection with the Tennessee legislature, especially after you know, pulling $1.26 billion away from state and local taxpayers to pay for this $2.1 billion stadium they're going to get. And they very well may change the law. Right now, they couldn't do it, but they would have to change the law and allow for that. Um, On New Year's Eve, I was out uh, watching a game in Phoenix, Arizona. BetMGM has a facility right there. It's outside of the stadium. I believe that the commanders now have a book in their stadium, right? Yeah, that's right. In um, in Landover, Maryland, the the commanders partnered with um, Fanatics to do a um, a book that connected to the stadium. So it just occurred to me that the state of Virginia doesn't have any. I don't. Th- I think I'm right of it. They don't have any professional sports teams. So they're betting. They're betting on the commanders and the bullets and, and the ravens and. Uh, I guess in that area. Uh, why did Virginia want one? I mean, it, it, there was no pressure from was there pressure from professional sports teams? Did the Washington-based teams want in and pressure Virginia to start these lotteries or these sports gambling, uh, this sports gambling thing? Ben, uh, I do not. I don't know. Okay, uh, don't know. I don't know the answer to that one. I don't know how active the Commanders or were in Virginia, but but. The way that D.C. And, and Northern Virginia and Maryland are set up, it's really like sort of a tri-state area. And, right. and Northern Virginia is very much, you know, connected to D.C. And, and, and um, you know, 
Baltimore is, is, is very close by too. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's definitely the region includes um, large parts of what is, uh, you know, a, a hugely populated region of Virginia, which is Northern Virginia, which is just across the river. In, in yeah, I, I, I grew up in Alexandria and was very much surprised in my teenage years to discover that we were part of Virginia. <laughs> elsewhere. But Brian, go ahead. Well, well, I do know that in Virginia, FanDuel had partnered with the commanders. Uh, their training facility is in Virginia. And FanDuel was, the, was able to get uh, a jump on the market. They were the first operator to begin operating in the state of Virginia a couple of weeks before other operators were able to, to get there. So that's a, a huge advantage to get first, first mover status in, in a market like Virginia. And uh, as Ben pointed out earlier, FanDuel's and FanDuel and DraftKings, but FanDuel in particular has has sort of owned this space uh, throughout the country. If you go state by state, their market share is pretty dominant. John, our state representative, Pricey Harrison, claims that in states where sports betting has been adopted, the revenues that they've accumulated have been minuscule. She pointed to Kansas, where she said $350 million was spent on gambling and it produced $700,000 in tax revenues for the state. And in some states, betting entities have been given tax-exempt status. What has happened in Tennessee? So far, there's been $410 billion in betting, and $7.3 billion overall has gone into the tax fund. Which $7.3 billion or million? Billion? In the tax revenues? No, it's a it's 120 million. I was reading that wrong. It's 7.3 million last month in January. And so it's 120 it's, million overall. They estimated heading into it, the fiscal notes said 50 million was the estimate every year. Um, in this last year, it was 68. The year before, it was less than that. And they expect it to continue to expand. It's going to be more like 75 to 80 million every year. And according to the Washington Post University of Maryland poll that they conducted last summer, a growing uh, the, the growing approval of Americans for sports betting, they say they're still all, they're also concerned that the increasing availability of sports betting will uh, lead to more people becoming addicted to it to sports gambling. Has that proven to be the case in Tennessee? Do we are you experiencing any problems with people who need to go and be counseled or people who have? wagered money they could not afford to lose isn't that a great question and how would you figure that out outside of a survey you know the gambling industry would say okay we have all these things in place we're advertising all these responsible gambling things um look it's not as big of an issue as people want to say but it's it's kind of a secret problem that you wouldn't necessarily be able to find out on an individual basis they're not uh no one has access to the individual data outside of the operators. There were concerns about people uh, becoming addicted, but mostly about people wagering money that they could not afford to lose when we were talking, Brian, in this state about adopting a state lottery for education. We overcame those fears, but this is not a lottery. This is actual betting. Uh, so are there greater concerns here about that this time? Sure. Some of the critics of the bill have, as I said, pointed out that you, you shouldn't be able to use a credit card because, you know, you can go into debt. Uh, uh, supporters of the bill will say you get greater protection using a credit card than you do a debit card. I think I would point out that um, unlike the lottery where you can bet a dollar and win 
millions or, or in some cases, billions of dollars. Sports gambling doesn't really work like that. Um, mm-hmm. Usually in order to win $10, you have to bet $10. Um, to win $100, you have to bet $100. Certainly there are there are parlays that have much, much larger odds and you can bet a dollar to try to win a couple of thousands of dollars or, or things like that. But but under most sports gambling, in order to win $10, you have to wager $10. And so um, it, I think it attracts a different type of gambler than someone who says, I can put my last dollar and try to win $700 million in, in the Powerball tonight. Um, it, it attracts a different that, – that, that may lead to the same problems or it may lead to different problems. But I, I do think there's a different type of gambler that deals in sports gambling that, that plays the lottery. Yeah, and Ben, when it comes to sports betting, you're not necessarily betting on <clears throat> who wins or loses the game or what the point spread might be or who might – that you could be betting on other things like who might get injured in the course of this game, et cetera. You're just betting on stuff. Uh, there are those who say that that opens up sports to corruption, and there are questions about whether even the outcomes of games might be impacted about – because of the, 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 the people who are voting or betting on certain things. Has that been a problem in any part of the country that we know of? Um, tennis has had some issues. Um, one of the sports that, that is, um, you know, pointed to, and um, there was a, a World Cup qualifying match, and, and I want to say Africa, that, that there was, um, you know, some irregularities found. But this has been, you know, a problem point shaving in college basketball in particular, you go back, um, you know, decades. Uh, I'm not sure, you know, how much more likely it is now versus when there was illegal gambling where there was plenty of money being bet, um, you know, and it just was under the table versus um, illegal. But but there are, you know, entities, um, Sport Radar is, is, a, is a, you know, an international company that 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 looks pretty closely at data to protect the integrity of games, looking at the speed of a serve, for example, you know, and they will tell you that they can, um, you know, based on, on the speed of a serve that a player, um, you know, in a tennis match is, is, are they letting up? Are they, you know, not playing like they normally would? Um, so there are um, certainly money being spent on, on maintaining the integrity of these events as um, more money is being gambled. Um, you mentioned, you know, sort of the, the, the different ways uh, that, that, that people are gambling. The, the next wave, and I think you're starting to see it, and this is true in the more mature markets of um, Europe in particular, is that it, it's less about gambling on who wins, and it's more gambling in the moment. I think it's, it's something like 70% of, of bets in the United Kingdom are made after the game starts. Um, and so that is, that'll be something, you know, to watch in the United States, sort of betting on, will there be a run scored in this, you know, will this batter get a hit? Um, you know, that kind of stuff, um, is probably, uh, that's where, you know, gambling operators and, and people involved in the industry would like to see this go and, and certainly probably where this is heading sooner rather than later. John, let's talk about for a second about who is playing these games. Who is betting in Tennessee? Are, are they mostly hardcore sports fans who would be at the game or watching it on TV anyway, and they want to participate and maybe they would have bets with their friends that are small, but this is a chance to make real money. Or is it people who just want to try their luck? They got t- 10 bucks. What the hell? I'll, 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 I'll place a bet. I don't know that they've done a specific survey about just Tennessee, but I think Brian mentioned it earlier. It's, it's young males that are, are 
betting um the operator yesterday again in a budget hearing said you know this is a completely different thing than the people that are putting money into the lottery because this isn't necessarily just a game of chance it's not like you're putting it on red or black here which is another thing i mean a lot of these sports books are entry points to i casino uh, that's a whole different segment, but Brian, when the North Carolina education lottery passed, it was being touted as prior to passage as a way to really pump money into education. I don't know that that's proven to be the case. That's a, that's a show for another day <laughs> because schools tend to be underfunded still here. Where will the revenues for sports gambling go? Should this bill pass? If, should it ever be filed and then passed? Yeah, it's, it's pretty complicated. Um, they have uh, allocated about $5 million off the top, uh, some of it to, to problem gambling, some of it to lo uh, low-funded athletic departments uh, across the state at colleges, including HBCUs, uh, including $500,000 to every county. So each county would get $5,000 for parks and recreation. Um, but the large bulk of the money would be distributed in, in three ways. 10% of what's left would go to these underfunded uh, college athletic departments. 30% would go to a new major attraction fund that would be that would help the state to attract things like an NFL, uh, a Super Bowl or an, a NASCAR all-star race or a golf major. Um, and then 60% would go to the general fund. Uh, so if, if we were to bring in, say, $50 million, uh, about $45 million of that would be allocated in that 10, 30, 60 uh, way that I just laid, outlaid. This is happening because of a Supreme Court decision several years ago on the Washington Post editorial page uh, ran an editorial claiming that the Supreme Court, by their decision that it was unconstitutional to confine sports gambling to Nevada alone, made the whole country into a gambling casino. And NPR says this new era is, quote, radically reshaping what it means to watch professional and collegiate sports. I have 10 seconds. Ben, how how concerned should we be about this? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, uh, that okay. seems Nobody a little can answer that. Me. Okay. <laughs> ben Strauss, sports and media reporter for the Washington Post. Uh, John Steiff, reporter with in, in, uh, reporting on Tennessee and West Virginia for the Center Square. And Brian Murphy, a sports investigative reporter for WRAL TV in Raleigh. Thank you all for the hour. Support comes from WFAE members and Mazda of South Charlotte, focused on applying Mazda's customer-centric approach for vehicle design to car buying and servicing in order to create an experience centered around the customer. More at MazdaofSouthCharlotte.com.